love, your compassion, your mercy, that you would call us children of the Most High, that, Lord, you would look from eternity past into eternity future and see us as your kids, and you would redeem us and send your son. As we enter into your presence, the throne room of grace, we know that it is afforded to us through your son Jesus and what he's done. This is a celebration day. This is a joyful day. And may we respond is such. Lord, may we worship you in spirit and in truth, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen.
was Friday afternoon, and Jesus is dead. His brutalized body hanging without life on a cross dropped into a hole in the dirt. His executioners had dug the holes, prepared the place, and done their job with ruthless efficiency. This wasn't how it was supposed to be. The hope of mankind overcome by powers of hell, by the shadow of a grave. We once knew what it was like to rule and reign on the earth. We were made to live in the light, in relationship, in purpose. We were made for more than what we've come to accept as normal. Ever since the garden, Satan and his kingdom have been tightening their grip. Darkness has ruled evil, chaos, suffering, hopelessness. We've been enslaved and crippled by the holes the enemy has been digging for us too. Instead of killing the Messiah, the cross became a catalyst for salvation. The hole that was dug to hold an instrument of shame and death was instead filled with an instrument to bring healing and new life. That's the way God is. Nothing is impossible with him. He's always restoring, always renewing, always able to take what was meant for evil and turn it for good. To take our graves and turn them into gardens. Why? because he never gave up on his plan. He has never given up on us. He knows what we don't, that you can't have resurrection life without death, Jesus. He died so we can have lives of purpose and power over the grave. He is not dead, he is alive. And because he lives, we can live again.
we sing this next song that allows us to bestow glory and power and honor on our God. I want you to realize that even this morning, even though we can't see it, we are standing before the actual throne of God, worshiping Him. Allow yourself to be reminded of that this morning. Oh 
Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you. That we stand before a risen Savior. Jesus, you are not dead, but you are alive. And that is what allows us to have hope. That's what allows us to have faith in what you've said. The tomb is empty. still this morning. Let's sing that one more time. Holy is the Lord. We're so glad that all of our elementary age school children have been with us, worshiping with us. It's a good thing for them to be in here as they see us worship. And at this time, in just a minute, I'm going to let you go. And kids, you're going to go back to the back door and find your teacher. There's a sign. So go ahead, kids. You start moving. All of the children, you can start heading back there. Find your grade on whatever sign is back there. And while they're moving, uh, parents of children, if you can give me your attention, just want to remind you that um, you can, you must pick up your kids um, when we're all done this morning. What you do is you go out those doors and you take the first hallway to your left and you just keep following it down the stairs and we promise you your kids will be up there or down there. And uh, maybe they'll be on the ceiling. I don't know, but they'll be there. And they're going to be learning God's word this morning. And as they're moving, if you wouldn't, if everyone wouldn't mind scooting in towards the center, we need some more seats in this place. Praise God. So if you can um, just scoot over so that we can have some of the aisle seats available for those that might still be joining us. Did I get that right? All right. We're going to continue to worship God as we give our tithes and our offerings this morning as an act of worship and in thanksgiving to God. Let me pray for these and then um, we will continue to worship through one more song here with the choir. Father, Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus. We thank you that he rose again and that he's alive and we can gather in this place to worship your holy name. So we continue to do that through our tithes and our offerings this morning. We give them to you freely. We give them to you as an act of worship. We ask that you would take them and that you would use them to further your kingdom here and abroad. In Jesus' name, amen.
wide But from the far side of the chasm You held me in your sight So you made a way Across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne To build it here inside And there at the cross You paid the debt I owe Broke my chains, paid my soul For the first time I had hope
as the choir and worship team is leaving, if you would open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We uh, conclude our study as we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew. We are coming to the pinnacle of, of our faith, the resurrection. It really is the apex of, of Christianity and our faith. But if I was to ask you this question, and I'm not looking for a answer necessarily, but what does the resurrection mean to you? If someone was to come and ask you the question, say, well, you know, you're a Christian. You believe in this Jesus thing and you go to church. Tell me about the resurrection. How would you respond? Would you have an answer? Would you say, um, let me call up Pastor Kerry right now. We need to be able to have an answer for the resurrection and, and for the, the pinnacle of our faith. Because think about the, the consequences. The, the thing, what would happen if Jesus had never rose from the dead? What would happen if he, he died on the cross, but what if he never rose again? What if he was still in the tomb? You have to think about that and, because there's a lot of people that don't believe in the resurrection. Paul would write to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 15 to 17 and also in verse 19. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we've testified against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, and not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. If Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, then what are we doing here? We would be fools to believe in myths and fables in something that never really happened. Is there evidence for the resurrection? Absolutely. The resurrection shows a number of different things. One, the resurrection shows that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God, the Father. Not only was his, his sacrifice enough, but Jesus becomes the first fruits of the resurrection. The resurrection communicates victory. We've won. We've been able to win, and, and in this battle of sin, we've, we've already, what, do you realize you're already winners? When Satan comes to remind you that, that you're guilty of sin, you can remind him of the cross and the empty tomb. The resurrection also communicates life after death. A bodily resurrection of Jesus guarantees all those that are in Him a bodily resurrection, a physical resurrection. I know you all are looking forward to becoming angels with wings and floating in the sky. Hate to pop your bubble. You're not going to be wearing diapers in the air. You think about this, though. I mean, it, it's the real deal. 
when we take a look at the resurrection, it was necessary. Over 2,000 years ago, the message of the resurrection was preached. And has been being preached to this day. The message of the resurrection was first preached to the women who came to the tomb. The, re- the message of the resurrection was also preached to a group of depressed disciples that were saddened by what is going on. But if you think about it, the message of the resurrection continues to preach and has been preaching for over 2,000 years. And we're seeing lives changed because radically changed, miracles taking place. We're going to be working through uh, you know, and, and go ahead and, and we're going to try to read, th- read this through. And I think uh, Tom's going to try to get me a mic that's not cutting out. No, you can't read lips. <laughs> so let's go ahead and we'll, we'll give her a shot. Matthew 28, 1 through um, 20. says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred from the heavens and came and rolled away the stone that sat upon it. The appearance was like lightning. And his clothing as white as snow. Fear of him and became men. And the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here. Come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him, and behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb, and quickly, with fear and great joy, and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take the word of my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city, reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you're to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And the story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You may be seated. It's okay. 
Can you hear me now? Very cool. So, when we think about the resurrection and all that's there, one of the things that we have to realize is from the purview of the women, the disciples, the people that were, that were present at that time, they weren't looking for a resurrection when they came to the tomb. What were they looking for? A dead body. They were looking for a dead body. Now, as the text tells us, it says, Now, the Sabbath was to begin, and it was dawn towards the first day, and we have Mary and the other Mary and, and several women that come, and they're on their way journeying to the tomb. And they're looking to go finish the work that still needed to take place, which was the anointing of Jesus' body. His body was taken off the cross by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus in a very quick manner and, and put into the tomb to avoid breaking the, the law Sabbath was coming and, and the sun was setting. They had to take care of him quickly. And so within this, they were coming to this, this tomb. Meanwhile, an earthquake had taken place. Now, in their mind, a tomb meant death, as it would anybody else, right? You think about it, you go to a grave. You go to a graveyard. What do you think of? You're, you're, you're thinking death. Imagine going up to a graveyard... And within the graveyard, you come up to Uncle Joe's tombstone, and there's an open casket. What would you think? And then all of a sudden, there was a voice that says, Hi, Gary. And you look around, and it's Uncle Joe. Would that freak you out? <laughs> yeah. You know, I know in this day and age where zombies are very popular and such, they were expecting to find a dead body. They were expecting to find Jesus. But as they approached, the tomb was empty. And I got to thinking about the message of the resurrection and what the resurrection really communicated to these first seers of the tomb as they come. They were expecting to see a closed tomb. And once the tomb was open, a dead body... By the way, they couldn't figure out how they were going to get the, the stone rolled away. It was a large stone that was there. But what didn't they see? See, these women, they prepared all the spices and they were on their way. But what they didn't see was that a Roman guard or two was set to be in charge of the tomb. What they didn't see was a stamp that was placed on there, a seal... That would mark the tomb, making it impossible for anybody to open it. What they didn't know and what they didn't see was the angels that were present at the tomb. And what they didn't know and they didn't see was that the body of Jesus was gone. Hence, they were expecting to see a dead Jesus. You ever wonder why the tomb was open? Was the tomb open to let Jesus out? Nope. Jesus had already resurrected. The tomb was open to let people in to see that the tomb was empty. It was open so that the tomb itself would communicate a message of the resurrection. Jesus had, had risen from the dead and he didn't need the tomb open so he could get out. 
In fact, it's interesting because you don't find any accounts of anybody actually seeing Jesus leave the tomb. That is in there. So this Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of, of James and Joseph and the other women, they all come and they all are honored. They're all honored to, to be the first witnesses. Now, as we shared this morning at, at the sunrise service, Mary Magdalene, when she got there, she saw the open tomb. She left because what the tomb communicated to her was great sorrow. She left because she thought somebody stole the body of Jesus. But the other Mary and Salome and the other women were there and they continued on. And what they witnessed from the angels was an empty tomb. I also got to thinking, what if Jesus hadn't risen on the third day? What if he needed a little bit more time? Would that be possible? No. Because that would make Jesus a liar. Eight different times that are recorded in, in Scripture tells us that Jesus said, I will rise on the third day. And he would fulfill that prophecy within that. The empty tomb is the evidence of a promise kept. The empty tomb tells us that Jesus had victory on his terms. And it wasn't the terms of anybody else. The empty tomb proves that Jesus defeated death. Are you afraid of death? If you're going to be honest, you're going to say yes. Even as a Christ follower, I have a friend who says, you know, it, it, it's not the fact that I'm afraid of, of, of dying about where I'm going to go, because I know I'm going to be with the Lord. It's the journey that I don't like. And that's the truth. But what if Jesus hadn't died? Could you imagine the level of eternal death and suffering and separation from God that we would experience, that there would be no hope? The empty tomb is the evidence of a real bodily resurrection to prove that Jesus is the first fruit of that resurrection. And because he lives, we live. As a Christ follower, when you die, and if the Lord doesn't come back soon and that takes place, the guarantee is this. You are not going to become some disembodied spirit floating around somewhere. That this body of death that we all live in and suffer in is all going to be translated to a new body, perfect without sin. It's an amazing thing. As these women came and they saw this tomb. Well, we're told in verses 2 through 4 that there was this great earthquake. Now, what about this earthquake? Some people say, well, you know, it's a similar earthquake to the one that happened when Jesus died on the cross. You know, there was that great apocalyptic quake that opened the doors for all the tombs, that tore the, the temple veil. This is a second earthquake. The very creation responding to the resurrection, to the acceptance of Jesus' death. The second quake reveals God's power. The second quake tells us that that. The very creation is crying out in pain, waiting 
for its resurrection. You know, Revelation tells us that heaven and earth will pass away. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's an amazing promise. That the very creation, we're pretty arrogant in thinking that we're going to fix this planet. I can tell you this, it's not working. God created it. It's contaminated with sin. It's all going to go away and he's going to build a new one. With a word. We're told that these angels come and, and they're speaking to the women that are in here. Bright clothing that are there. We're also told that the soldiers that were present saw these angels. Can you imagine being a Roman guard? What is your job? Guard the tomb. And in guarding the tomb, your job is to do one thing. By the way, is it, was their job to keep the body in? The body's dead. It ain't going anywhere. Their job was to keep people from coming and taking the body. Who specifically? The disciples. There was a time limit. How long were they going to stand guard? They only had to stand guard three days. Why? Because Jesus said, in three days I'll rise again. And the whole goal was, keep the body in there for at least three days and we'll prove Jesus a liar. Well, how did that work out for him? Not very good. And can you imagine being a soldier and you have these angels that appear sitting on the rock? It says that they fell as dead man. I would imagine it was a pretty cool thing for the angels to show up and say, let's watch this. As these guys fall down, fainting as if they were dead. Roman soldiers that are there. And they run away. They run away to go report what is going on. One of the things that, that we got to understand is the fact that the Roman soldiers are the witnesses that declare that the body of Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And they don't know how it left. But they were the guards. It creates some problems within that. One of the problems that it creates is, now the Sanhedrin has to, they have to give a de uh, description of what happened. They have to answer for this somehow. So they're going to cook up a scheme. Within this, we know that the tomb was empty because in John chapter 20, verses 5 through 7, in John's account, as uh, John and Simon Peter show up, says, and stooping and looking in, they saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter came in, followed him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, face cloth, which had been uh, on his head, not lying with the linen wrap, wrappings, rolled up and placed by itself. And later on in John's account, he says, he saw and believed. We know that the tomb was empty. We know the tomb that was empty by, based on the witness, based off the, the soldiers, based on John and Peter. I always think it's kind of cool. With, you know, if you ever really study the Bible, God's got a huge sense of humor. The linens are described as laying in place, as if the body would transfer through the linens. But the, the shroud that would be over the face was rolled up and set to a side. What does that prove? One, it wasn't grave robbers. Because grave robbers are... Have you ever met a thief that was very nice and neat and would put things back where they belong? No. But the linens were there as if the body passed through, but the face cloth was folded up off to the side. Why? Because Jesus made his bed before he left. He took it off, put it down. Why? Because he wanted to declare that he was a physical resurrection, that Jesus rose again and he left his mark. Within that. 
to, for people to be able to see what had gone on. Within this, the soldiers had, had been in place watching, and they shook for fear. The women had seen they were afraid. They get there after the soldiers left. They come in. They see the same angels, and they say, don't be afraid, which I think is a huge understatement. He says, and notice what they say in verse 5. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who had been crucified or has been crucified. When you study this, the words has been crucified is interesting because it says it in a perfect tense. In the language, it's, in the perfect tense, it means it's an action that took place that was completed at that time. It has no ongoing thing. Jesus does not continue to be crucified. Some people will say, well, if I sin, you know, Jesus has to die for my sins all over again. No. He died for your sins once and for all. Over 2,000 years ago. Past, present, future sins were all nailed to the cross. How does God do that? He's God. And He knows what you're going to do and He knows all of these things. It's the redemption for your soul. Jesus is not crucified afresh. When he said on the cross, Tetelestai, he said, it is finished, complete, paid in full within that. And so the angel says, well, I know who you're looking for, which tells us the angels knew that the, that the women were coming. So the one you've been looking for that has been crucified, he's not here, he's risen. As he greets them, what does he do? The angel redirects him and says, now, go take this message. What is the message? The message of the resurrection. You women, go take this message of the resurrection and go take it to the disciples who are hiding in the city, who are terrified. Why? They need to know the good news that Jesus has risen. It's huge. Now, the women, again, were terrified by what had happened. And they were bowing their heads to the ground. In fact, in Luke 24, 5, it says, And as the women were terrified, bowed their face to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? I wonder if the angels are a little bit confused or maybe frustrated as they're talking with these women. Knowing that Jesus said, I'm going to rise on the third day, why did you doubt it? Why didn't you just accept it as fact? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And the reality is, so many times we do. We look for the living, or a living hope, among the dead when Jesus has given us that living hope. He physically rose. Can you believe all the words that Jesus has said? Every single one. Every single one. What proves the fact that we can believe every single word that Jesus spoke? Because of the resurrection. The resurrection proves. Because in the resurrection, Jesus does something that gives evidence that he is divine, he is all-powerful, almighty, and has all authority. There's a couple of phrases that you really need to, to accept by faith. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. If you accept that, then you can accept the rest of the Bible. It, at the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. If you can accept that, 
You can accept the fact that Jesus paid the penalty for your, all your sins. And if you, if you can accept, on the third day I'll rise again, then you can accept the fact that the resurrection guarantees eternal life for you. These are all words that we can hang on. Now, granted, it's hard over 2,000 years later to be able to look at a book and to be able to read these words and say, yes, I put my faith and trust in this. But based on the, of the testimony of the tomb, the message of the resurrection, we can believe these things because it is the power of life that gives life. These women have received their instructions to go tell the disciples the good news and to give them the message of the resurrection. Yes, we can believe Jesus because he rose again just as he said he would. The promises of God are true. Now, that wasn't enough. And again, in, in my sanctified imagination, I think this is just, I, I find humor in this. Okay, so these women go, there's an earth, they, they survive an earthquake, they talk with angels, the tombs open, they get a message from angels, they're on their way back, go tell the disciples, and in, in my mind I'm thinking Jesus is going, I can't let this one go. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go show up and reveal myself to him. And that's what he does. In verses 8 to 10, they leave the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. Fear, why? I just saw an angel. Great joy because they got a great message and they're going to go to report to the disciples and notice in verse 9 it says, Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them and came up and, took, and they took a hold of his feet. Jesus was revealing himself to them. They got the witness from the angels. They got the witness from the tomb that Jesus had risen. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you that much more. Evidence. I'm going to reveal myself. Do you realize that Jesus revealed himself to these women first before anybody else? They were the first witnesses of the resurrection to be able to bring that message. How much more would their message be? And, and meanwhile, you've got Mary Magdalene, who's panicked, that went up and told John and Peter, and they're on their way back. They missed that. And these women there, and they see Jesus. And it says that they proskuneo, they fell at his feet and worshipped him. The other interesting thing is this. All throughout Jesus' ministry, you don't find anybody worshipping Jesus like this. They fell at his feet. They surrendered to him. And, and so he greets them with this response. What else does this tell us? That Jesus was recognizable. They knew him as being Jesus. And that he was physical. Grabbing a hold of his feet. That is there. And Jesus accepted worship at that time. What else does Jesus do? He reiterates the same message that the angels gave. Go and tell the disciples. But he changes it a little bit. If you look at it carefully, he says, go and tell my brethren. Interesting. Why would he use the term brethren? Because in this, Jesus is, is also the Lord, the Savior, but... Now the disciples are in the family of God. They are his brothers, his sisters. You remember earlier when his mom and the, his, his biological brother showed up 
And Jesus made the statement. They said, well, you know, your mom and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. They think you're nuts. We're going to take you home. And Jesus looked out in the crowd and he says, who's my mother? Who's my brother? These are my, my brothers and my sisters. Those that do the will of my father. What else does this tell us? Go tell my brethren. Was Jesus still angry that he was abandoned at the cross by all of these? Jesus, in his mind, was, has already restored the relationship with the disciples who abandoned him. What is that message for you and I? That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not death, nor life, nor principalities, or powers, or things above, or things below. It, nothing can separate us from the love of God, as Romans 9 tells us. We look at this, and nothing can separate us, not even yourselves. They blew it. And Jesus says, you're still my brothers. Have you ever felt like you've blown it so bad that there is just no way that God will ever accept you back? And Jesus calls you brother, sister. You have a spiritual relationship with Jesus and an inheritance. We can celebrate the resurrection and we can worship Jesus because we, through that resurrection, have been placed into the family of God. And that is unalterable. It cannot be changed. Meanwhile, there are those that, regardless of what they see, will not accept. In verses 11 to 15, we see the subsection that is here, that is a meanwhile, that is going on. These guards came into the city. They reported the chief priests, the Sanhedrins, all, all that had happened. And when they assembled together with the elders, they consulted together and they gave them a large sum of money. Question, why would Roman soldiers go to the religious leaders to report that they failed their duty? Why would a Roman soldier go to the religious leader and say, you know what? Uh, we've lost the body. If you were a Roman soldier under government, what would happen to you if you failed to execute your duty? According to the culture, the Roman soldier that failed to execute his duty or if he lost a prisoner would then have to take that prisoner's place. Well, let's see, Jesus was dead. What would that mean for these soldiers? That they would die. They go to the Sanhedrin first, and they respond to them, and they say, look it, the body is gone within this. We don't know what happened. We, we saw an angel. And what did the leaders instantly do? The message of the resurrection, that he's not there, the body's gone. What do these leaders do? And mind you, these are the religious leaders. What did they do? They discredited the resurrection. They refused to believe that they were wrong about the Messiah. And they set up a large bribe for the Roman guard to be able to go around and tell everybody that the disciples had stolen the body. Do you realize there are some people, regardless of what you say, are not going to believe? Regardless, even if a man was to rise again, they wouldn't believe. There are some people that are so dead set on not believing that they will lose their eternity rather than say that they were wrong. It's amazing to me that that takes place. Did the Sanhedrin use bribes often? Sure. What did Judas get? 30 pieces of silver. These guys got a large sum of money. Why? Because they're probably going to have to leave town. 
And they made the comment, and, and don't worry about Pilate, we'll take care of him too. They were corrupt within this. Even the message of the resurrection in the empty tomb is not enough for some people to, to come to that faith that's in there. There's some problems with the testimony of the guards, though. Because they said to the guards, look, we're going to pay you a lot of money and we want you to go out and tell everybody that you were asleep. Is that a problem for a Roman soldier? For sleeping on the job? Sure. Tell them that you were asleep and tell them that mm, the disciples stole the body. Do you find any inconsistency with that? If you're asleep... How do you know who stole the body? Doesn't work. Then I got to thinking the depths that people will go and how, how ridiculous people's stories will, will be in order so that they don't have to address the resurrection, so that they don't have to believe. The other part I thought was interesting is this. Do you remember where they accused Jesus of being the deceiver. When the Sanhedrin went to Pilate, and they go to Pilate and they say, we need to make this, the tomb secure, so that, the, and it says, that deceiver does not continue to deceive when his disciples steal the body. Who's really the deceiver at this point? The Sanhedrin. And this great deception. And where does the great deception come from? What's the source of deception? Or should I say, who is the source of deception? Satan. If Satan can discredit the resurrection, if Satan can get you to believe that there is no bodily resurrection, there is no physical resurrection, will he deceive you from eternal life? Yeah. If he can get you not to believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins, and three days later that penalty was paid and he's the first fruit of that resurrection, and all of those that are in him will have eternal life. If he can get you to not believe that, then for you, it's as if the resurrection never took place. And you remain in judgment and in sin and sorrow and suffering. And that's a sad, sad condition. What does the resurrection mean for you? What does it mean to know that Jesus rose again, that the tomb is empty and you have life? There are those in the world today that say this, God is dead, God is still dead, there is no God. Those are the ones to be pitied. Because living in that lie damns them to hell fire forever to reject the living God. Well, at the end of this, Matthew gives a summary account. In verses 16 to 20, we fast forward two weeks in Matthew's writing. There's a lot of things that happen between uh, Matthew's account in verse 15 and Matthew's account in verse 16, a series of events where Jesus would appear multiple times 
within this. Why? Because he wants in his gospel message for people to understand that the message of the resurrection needs to be shared. It must be shared. It's imperative. So he told the disciples, meet me in Galilee. Why Galilee? Where did Jesus' ministry first start? Galilee. Where was the, the Sermon on the Mount? Galilee. It was where Jesus had, had picked these disciples up and trained them and taught them. So they go back to Galilee, some mountain. We don't know which one it is. About a couple weeks later, after the Feast of, of Passover and Unleavened Bread, it took place. They meet on this mountain. They go to the, the meeting place where Jesus would have them to be in that. And all 11 plus some others that are there, but the 11 for sure are there. And notice in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Well, the eleven worshipped him, but there were others that were present. They were doubtful. Why? Because the disciples that were in Galilee that didn't get to see Jesus in Jerusalem are now seeing Jesus alive going, are you seeing what I'm seeing? The, the word doubtful there is not a doubtful like, I don't believe this. It's a doubtful like, I can't believe my eyes. Can you imagine, and, and again, we're not told on, on which hill it was, which mountain it was, but can you imagine all of these people that are coming out of Capernaum and all that area, and they're going, he's alive. I was told he was dead. He's alive. I don't believe my eyes. Why did Jesus gather his disciples on this hill, wherever it might be, to be able to talk with them, to commission them, to send them forward? The message of the resurrection was shared with the eleven, with the women. In fact, we're told over 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses, saw Jesus before the ascension, over a 50-day period. But the message of the resurrection is to be preached. It's to be shared. It's to continue to be given by his disciples. That's you and I. He begins what I would call their graduation ceremony with this message. Notice what he says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is deputizing his disciples to go with a mission. To go out with all authority. He is using Daniel's prophecy, Daniel seven thirteen and 14, to, for them to understand. He says, I kept looking in night visions and behold, the clouds are the one like the Son of Man is coming. And he came on the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all the people of the nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Jesus' authority is eternal. And so they would hear this and he says, all authority... Yes, I am the Messiah. I have the opportunity to give you authority. I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and I'm giving it to you. Do you realize as a Christ follower, you have kingdom authority? What is your authority to share a message that will revolutionize somebody's life? God has given you the privilege of being able to share a truth with somebody that will take them from death into life. You get to participate in somebody else's salvation by sharing the gospel message. And God gives you that authority to share the message of the resurrection. He says, go out. 
and make disciples, learners of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I command you. What is your mission? It's been the mission of the church for over 2,000 years. To go make disciples. What's the word disciple? Learners. That means you have to talk to people. Uh-oh. You mean, Carrie, I just can't bring them to church and you talk to them? No. You talk to them. You are their pastor. You are their shepherd. You are their evangelist. You have been authorized by Jesus to do that. You are commissioned to go out and to share that gospel message. Well, what am I supposed to share? Let's start with the message of the resurrection. The message of the cross. What am I asking them to do? To accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. To identify with Jesus. That's what baptism is. Paul would write about baptism in Romans 6. And about identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's a one-time action. In fact, we're doing it next week, if anybody's interested. We're, we're warming the tank up and we have some people to be baptized next week. What am I saying when I'm baptized? That Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And just as he died on the cross and was placed into the tomb, so I identify with Jesus and I'm placed in water. And just as Jesus came out in that newness of life, I come out of the water walking in newness of life. It's a one-time deal. You call people to an outward confession, because that's what baptism is. It's an outward confession. Then what do I do? Just teach them what, te what Jesus teaches you. Ah, that means Jesus has to teach you. You teach what Jesus teaches you. That's the job of the church, is to be able to share the commands, the teaching of Jesus. To whom? All nations. This would have been mind-blowing for the Jews. You mean i got to talk to a Gentile? Yes. Can I just go share it with the Jews? No. All nations. Where does ethnos? Everybody. you got to go talk to everybody. I've talked with people and they go, you know, I really don't know any non-Christians to share the gospel with. I really just don't know. And I look at them and I go, Really? Do you live in the same world I do? There are people throughout this world that need to hear the message of the resurrection, that Jesus loves them. It is God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. The church has been commissioned with a message to share that message. It's a transformational message. And that transformational message is what creates the body of Christ, the church, Oh, and by the way, just in case you think you might be able to say, well, I'm too scared to go share the gospel. Jesus took care of that, too. He says, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Well, Jesus, I can't share the gospel. I don't know what to say. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But, you know, these guys, they, they intimidate me. Did I not say I'm with you always until the end of the age? If you present your body and yourself to be able to share the message of the resurrection, God will give you what you need to say when you need to say it. He will empower you and equip you for that work. If you become a student of Jesus, you will have a message to share. 
And that message is transformational. It calls people into life. That message of the resurrection is very simple. It declares that death has been defeated and you can have eternal life through Jesus. You all got the message now. Now it's time to go. I want you to think about what the message of the resurrection means to you. For you, has death been defeated? Does it mean that this body you're going to trade up for something better? Something that God makes for you? Does it mean that you're not going to be bound to judgment? That you have a hope in the future? The answer is yes. On all of those. We celebrate this message and we celebrate this message here on Resurrection Sunday. Because it gives us hope and a future and a life. And it's with great joy that we can have that celebration. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've given us this this hope in this future. Lord, I know that there are those that will try to squelch the message. That will try to intimidate us or even create a deception. Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by you. And Lord, I would pray that even now that we would be able to celebrate you. And perhaps this morning God's been speaking to your heart. Maybe for the first time that you're looking at Easter Sunday a little bit different. That it's more than just a bunny and eggs and candy. It's a guarantee of hope and life. If you want to know for sure that when you die, you will have eternal life. You can pray and ask for that free gift. It's offered to you today. How do I do that, you say? Just ask Jesus to forgive you of all your sin. To come into your life and to take up that that place of Lord and Savior. Simply surrender your life to Him. And say, Jesus, I want to follow You. Fill me with Your Spirit. That You will be with me always to the end of the age. If we believe in our heart, and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we're promised salvation. And it's that free gift. For us as believers, we come to this place where we can celebrate Jesus corporately as King of kings and Lord of lords. As Tom said earlier, we stand before a holy throne of a holy God who is King of kings and Lord of lords. As we close out our service time, my encouragement to you is this. Let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yeah.
Lord Jesus, we praise you. We thank you. King of kings, Lord of lords, the resurrected one. You have given us life and that much more. Hope and future. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear Satan. He was defeated. Lord Jesus, you walk with us. You remain with us. The power of your Spirit guides us. May it be that same Holy Spirit that guides us throughout our day and throughout our week. Holy Spirit, I pray for revival within the hearts of believers, within the hearts of the church, that we would have a message to be able to share with all those that are perishing the truth. And that truth would be a light that would bring them into eternal life. That, Lord Jesus, you are Lord of all. Now, as we go out the rest of this day with family and friends and enjoy the day, may everything that we say and do make you smile. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.